and welcome to Hi Viz, the Cause Construction podcast. My name is Jacqueline Smith and I'm an associate in the Cause Construction team and a director of the Society of Construction Law Australia. Today, we'll be bringing you some key insights from Sydney Arbitration Week. We'll be discussing what Australia needs to do to strengthen its position as an arbitration hub. Joining me today is Gavin Denton, the founder and head of Arbitration Chambers Hong Kong, Abhinav Bhushan, the Regional Director for South Asia of the ICC, and Andrew Stevenson, partner in the CAUSE construction team. Welcome to Gavin, Abhinav and Andrew. What does Australia need to be doing to be strengthening its position as an arbitration hub? Andrew? I think um, Australian lawyers generally have to address some cultural issues. While we have um, very good courts and uh, a high level of uh, competence in the judiciary, what we do not do particularly well is the management of the process from inception to hearing. And the lessons that are learnt associated with Supreme Court practice in every state is that it is not efficient. If we take that process and want to offer it internationally, we will find, uh, it's certainly been my experience in international arbitration, that the Australian process is singularly uncompetitive. So we need to move in the way in which we deal with things domestically, both in domestic arbitration and in the court system, and we need to recognise uh, that in the context of international arbitration, the process will be often radically different uh, from that uh, which is adopted in our Australian courts, borrowing heavily from civil uh, procedure, civil law country procedure, that is European, continental European procedure, uh, which has completely different attitudes to discovery uh, from that found in England um, and other common law countries. So these are issues which I think we need to address both for the purposes of remaining uh, relevant uh, in Australia and providing an internationally competitive uh, service. Adding on to what Andrew said, I think there are a couple of things that, that Australia and the Australian bar might want to consider. I think to start with is that my, my understanding, and perhaps Andrew can correct me, that majority of arbitration that happens in Australia is ad hoc arbitration. I think that uh, ad hoc arbitration should move towards institutional arbitration. Second, I think uh, there needs to be an arbitration bar and there needs to be a diversity in arbitrators and arbitration practitioners. Third, I, I think that more women should be involved in arbitration in Australia. Australia has a vibrant bar with very intelligent, smart women and they should also look towards arbitration. Fourth, I think there needs to be an arbitral unity in the bar, I feel. Most arbitration jurisdictions which have progressed have a sense of loyalty to international arbitration. It's easier to say, oh, I'm a commercial lawyer and I do everything and I also do arbitration. But if you actually look at it, most developed jurisdictions, France, Singapore, Hong Kong, Paris, Switzerland, Geneva, Zurich, you would find a niche, a, a, a specialized group of people who do only international arbitration. 
And I think uh, the Australian bar could move towards specialization, uh, getting more qualifications when it comes to arbitration-related activities. For instance, a CIR qualification, an, ad an admin secretary qualification from HKIC or, or CIR. Some of the things that, these are some of the things that I think that the bar could look at. I think the idea that Australia is ever going to be a major hub for international arbitration is probably misconceived. I think there are people within Australia that have done an awful lot to progress uh, things here. But at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that geographically we're restricted. Um, and as Abinav says, uh, people in Australia have diverse um, practices and, and they touch on international arbitration periodically through their careers. And it is rare for many at the bar or partners of firms to be doing significant amounts of arbitration day in, day out. So we're up against jurisdictions where many of the firms have dedicated arbitration practices where they're practicing in the field all day, every day, you know, year in, year out. Uh, and so you go from being a, an associate through senior associate partner, etc. And that's all you've ever done. And you know, we can't underestimate the value of that versus you know, when you're trying to appoint an arbitrator in a matter that involves an Australian entity, it seems to me that the majority of partners in Australia are appointing international arbitrators that live elsewhere. Uh, and they're not appointing uh, the senior members of the bar here or partners of other law firms. Um, so I think what would be more useful rather than focusing on Australia as a hub of international arbitration would be to say how do we uh, create greater, a greater nexus between those practitioners in Australia that really want to do international arbitration and engage them in the major seats in Asia and Europe. So how do we go about uh, in encouraging, supporting that process so that they can get up into Singapore and Hong Kong and act and work more regularly uh, so that, like Abinab says, then you've got a core group of people within Australia and maybe that then builds uh, the knowledge uh, and opens up the opportunities for them to then sit as international arbitrators as well. You know, one thing I talk about I always say about dispute resolution clause. And the sad part is that nobody really thinks about the dispute resolution clause. At the time you're entering into the contract, I call it a marriage when nobody's thinking about the divorce. And therein lies the problem. And I think even the general counsels, uh, I think in Australia and around the world, particularly here in the context of Australia today, uh, they need to understand dispute resolution um, at the same pace as the, the bar needs to understand the international arbitration. You cannot ignore the dispute resolution clause. And, and unfortunately, the disputes lawyers have nothing to do with the dispute resolution clause because they are drafted by the corporate lawyers. And I think um, there needs to be a harmony, there needs to be a synchronization between disputes teams and, and, and corporate departments at the time of entering into the contract so that they know and the GCs know, general counsels know, that what sort of dispute resolution they would prefer should there be a dispute because unfortunately nobody's thinking about it at the time you enter into the contract. And this collective approach, I think, will certainly assist the overall dispute resolution mechanism and, and not have sort of, you know, uh, clauses which are good for nothing, uh, you know, pathological clauses. Uh, a lot of arbitration suffers because of these kind of clauses. Yeah, I just want to pick up on that last point. Um, the value of the drafting of any commercial contract 
is to be determined by the capacity to enforce it. And if the enforcement process is so expensive and so long uh, that it frustrates the commercial parties to that contract, then the value of the good work, no doubt, done by the commercial lawyers drawing the contract is devalued considerably. So that would be the first point. Just addressing some of Gavin's points in relation to the Australian current position. First of all, I'd agree with him that unless we're able to move Australia physically closer to Asia, um, we are unlikely ever to have the capacity to compete with the major centres in Hong Kong and Singapore. That having been said, I think what will happen in the next 50 years is that those centres will uh, grow stronger and stronger and may eclipse the European centres. And in that context, there will always be uh, international arbitration out of Australia, whether it's conducted in Singapore or Hong Kong or in Australia. And for domestic international arbitration, that is a, in arbitration of an international type that arises here, the very good example are the disputes arising between joint venturers between joint venturers and their contractors and other players associated with um, the energy and resources businesses that are resident in this country. The third point I'd make about arbitration and where we've come from, and I think it's important to understand this, that the judiciary in Australia has become much more pro arbitration than it was even 10 years ago. And there has been a concerted campaign uh, which is reflected in the reported cases increasingly uh, which ensures that arbitration agreements will be honoured, stays or references to arbitration will be made pursuant to the relevant legislation whether domestic or international and awards will be enforced and uh, only challenge in the context of international arbitration pursuant to the grounds identified in Article 5 of the New York Convention. And of course Australia being a model law country, uh, awards seated in this country are susceptible to review at the seat on the same basis. So there's symmetry in terms of enforcement and in terms of uh, the review of judgment of awards that are seated in Australia. And so uh, while I, I think if we want to compete uh, in terms of size and number with Hong Kong and Singapore we are at a severe disadvantage because of geography, but that's not to say that international arbitration will be unimportant in this country. Uh, I mean absolutely we at the ICC our biggest some of the biggest disputes we get are from Australia. Although Australia, in terms of number of parties that come from Australia, is not that high. Uh, but but Gavin, as the chair of the ICC nomination National Committee nomination, said, would tell you that uh, there were 42 Australian arbitrators who acted in ICC arbitrations last just in 2015, which ranks Australia as the top 10 countries the ICC has uh, who gives arbitrators. Um, and in Asia, it's probably um, 
the f number one, if you count sort of Australia as a part of the bigger continent, Australasia, then you have the European countries, you have Americans, uh, and then you have the United Kingdom, and then in this part of the world, you have Australia as the only country which has given maximum arbitrators to NICC arbitrations. So Australians, I, as far as I'm concerned, will never be irrelevant to international arbitration, although uh, international arbitration within Australia may have certain limitations uh, for it being a hub, but never Australian lawyers and arbitrators. Well, that's one of the things we need to understand is that there are a huge number of Australians that have left our shores and gone overseas and, and built extremely successful practices. Uh, and they're the sorts of people that we need to tap into, I think, from Australia now. Uh, and to provide opportunities, and I, I haven't really brainstormed how we go about doing that. This, this was just something that arose uh, during Sydney Arbitration Week. You know, do you become a major? How do you do it? Or do you look at how you engage with these other regions? Uh, and I, I do think um, that we need to find a way to uh, link the practitioners here in Australia with those that have gone overseas, and see if we can, you know, work together to aid particularly the younger Australians coming through, and that's one of the things that ICC Australia does, uh, is give people their first opportunities to be appointed as an arbitrator in international arbitration. Um, and you know, most people rely on institutions in that regard, rather than party appointments, to kick off their careers as arbitrators. Um, and so um, they need to try and get involved with some of the institutions, I think, at an early age to try and build a career anywhere, but particularly out of Australia where you probably need more support to do that. Thanks again to Gavin, Abenav and Andrew. It's been great to hear some of the opportunities that Australia has to strengthen its position as an arbitration hub. My name is Jacqueline Smith. Thank you for listening. We look forward to you joining us for the next edition of Cause High Viz. This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances.